Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. We are in, I don't know if you feel it, I don't know if you sense it, but we're in a, we're in a moment of transition. I don't know if you, if you see that, um, but that's, that's what's happening, right? And so uh, many churches are um, experiencing kind of like times of refreshing. And the way I would communicate that is that there is a greater desire for participation and for community and to be together. And things that were once harder are becoming easier. And I was with Brett and I said to him, we were in Rwanda and I said something to him and he looked at me like, okay. I said, don't worry, people are going to get saved here by accident. And (laughs) we're walking through this village in Rwanda that had just had literally a few months before people from Congo come in and slaughter innocent people with machetes. Like we were in that type of space. Um, And I said to him, people are going to get saved by accident. So this guy comes and he kind of like knocks on our door, like taps on us. And he's like, I want to get born again. It's like I told you, this type of stuff happens. And, and so when the Spirit of God is, is coming and God is moving and people are responsive to Him, there's a transition there. There, there, is, a, there is a change there. There's, there's a shift in scenes. And, you know, some of you are going from together to married. That's a transition. And then some of you are going from married to children. That's a transition. And some of you are going from children to more children. That's a transition. And there's been transitions in mentalities because if you don't shift the mentality, you'll never shift the reality. You know, that's the thing that we we're talking about at the pastor's conference with Haiti, where, where, if, where poverty is not only a lack of resources or a lack of opportunity, but it is a mentality that gives birth to a reality. So the only way you break through the reality is there's a shift in mentality or the renewing of your mind. You begin to see things as God sees them and, and God begins to shift. There is, uh, there's a transition in, in, a diff- in, a, in a bunch of different things. I can't speak to all of them right now, but there's been a bunch of testimonies. You saw how Brett was. To see someone that strong that week was painful. To see how Jen was and how I was looking, I was feeling, I felt bad for Jen, but I was like, I feel for Jim. Like, I was like, is Jim gonna, okay. You know, cause women are tough. Women are like good with pain. If we get sick, I don't even want to talk to anyone. I, you know, so women are tough, you know. So anyway, so I was just, you know, we, there was a guy in Haiti who was the sound guy of our last crusade, not this crusade, the crusade before that when we dedicated the basketball court. He was kidnapped. And they wanted $32,000 for his release. He wound up getting released for less than a tenth of that. But you have to understand that the way Haiti works and the way kidnappings work is you could pay and they could kill you too. Or you could pay and then they take you. So there's no guarantee because you're dealing with lawlessness. The police are unable to do anything. The, the, so like that was a supernatural. We were praying. We prayed from this altar. We prayed. We believed. And, and God is moving. I can show you a bunch of different things, but there is, uh, with Tina and with DK and, and the ESL, God is moving. In worship, God is moving. So th- this type of movement and momentum, it, it, it leads into a transition. Okay? And in a transition, 
Guess who you meet in a transition? Jesus is going from a day laborer to an itinerant preacher. And in the transition, he meets Satan. And he goes through a fierce amount of temptation. Often in transitions, we face fierce and intense temptations. And the goal of the enemy is to get us to tap out. To get us to compromise, to get us to quit, to get us to do something in our own strength, by our own power, by our own efforts. And that is not God. Now, you know that the book of James says that when a man is, is drawn into temptation, he's drawn away by his own lusts. Are, are, you, are, you, are you with me on that? So you can't blame God for the devil's work. Or you can't blame God for your own issues because the devil is not going to be held accountable for your actions. So it's easy for us to blame the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil, but eventually we're going to have to give an account. So the Bible says when a man is drawn away into temptation, he's drawn away by his own lust. So Jesus had nothing in him that would draw him into a place of temptation. So the Holy Spirit led him in the wilderness to be tempted. This is important. We know that fasting looses the bonds of wickedness. Jesus didn't have any, so the devil showed up. <laughs> Let me tell you one thing. Fasting stirs things up. One of the things, one of the most misunderstood things about fasting is that fasting doesn't change the devil's mind and fasting doesn't change God's mind. Fasting puts things in their proper priority. Fasting is the same context of tithing. What is tithing? Honoring the Lord with the first fruits of your increase. What is fasting? Saying to God that you matter more to me than my appetite or than my food. Now, he knows that we cannot live like that every day for the rest of our life. But when you do that and you take time and season for that, you're making a statement about priority. Fasting doesn't move the devil. It removes unbelief. So when you speak to the devil, he moves. If when God speaks to you, you don't move. When you speak to the devil, he won't move. The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. The devil does not like to hang around people that don't participate with him. He will find some other sucker to rob. He, 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 he said like three sentences to Jesus and he's like, okay, this isn't working. And he left. <laughs> so the devil only hangs around places where people listen to him. And what happens is if you don't listen to the devil, he'll speak to people about you. That's how you know. I'll tell you when I know people don't listen to the devil. When the devil talks to people about this person. Interesting. Amen. Now, the wilderness is a place of transition. What should have been an eight or a nine day journey took the children of Israel how long? 40 years. 40 years. People are like, I'm waiting on God. You know who God is usually waiting on? You, me, us, and we. The wilderness is a place of training. It, it, remember, on, remember on the sixth day, the children of Israel were to go get bread so that they wouldn't have to go get bread for the Sabbath day? That's a place of training. That's teaching them you have to prepare to rest or you will not rest. If you don't make plans to rest, you will not rest. That's important. People don't make plans. That's why they don't succeed. 
So you, ha you have to make a plan to rest. You need a game plan to rest or else you won't rest. Okay. The wilderness um, and also they had to learn to follow instructions because God said on the day before the Sabbath, I will, I will release double specifically so that you can rest. God will fund your rest. God himself will fund your rest because it's holy. He is the Lord of the harvest and he is also the Lord of the Sabbath. He will fund your rest. Now, the wilderness is also a place of temptation, which we're going to get into. The wilderness is a place of humbling. Let me, let me read this to you. This is fascinating. Deuteronomy 8. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these way, these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart. Listen to me. Unless you've been humbled and tested, you don't even know you. You are not even aware of what is inside of you. If I am unaware of what is inside of me and what is going on inside of me, I cannot navigate out here well. That's why I say stuff like, if it's not tested, we don't know if it's real. To humble you and to test you whether or not you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, watch this, and he allowed you to hunger. He didn't allow them to lack. He allowed them to hunger. He allowed them to experience felt needs so that he could teach them that he is their provider. If you don't learn how to trust God with your felt needs, you will never navigate prosperity well. Because you'll think it's you. Stick with me. So he humbled you and he allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know, watch this, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the wilderness is a place of testing, of humbling, of training, of learning to trust and learning to experience consistent Miraculous provision so that you can steward the prosperity of the land. That is really important. You cannot walk into a season of inheritance unless you understand who is the provider. This is the classic thing about us men. When we're doing good, we're the provider. You know, you prayed for 30 minutes today for the first time in your life. And now you're like, prophet, priest, and king. Oh, yeah. You hit a bad flow. You're on the floor crying like a little baby, reminding God of who is the provider. When people's finances are hit, that's what they learn how to do. Humble themselves and get on their face and pray. So men, as men, especially men that are going to be called to be storehouses, we have to learn that the provision is of the Lord. That is a very important because you cannot represent someone well that you don't know and you're not confident in. And we're stewards. This is a very important principle. A place of miraculous provision. Let, let's continue. 
Now, Jesus, let's go to Luke. This is Luke 4.1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led into the Spirit by the, uh, was led into the Spirit into the, excuse me, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when he had ended, he completed what he said to do. After he ended, he was hungry, and the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, the first thing that the enemy is contesting is a felt need that is attached and connected to his identity. Because when our felt needs are not met, we question who we are. We get impulsive. Not you, we. Humans. We get impulsive. We get, has God forgot about me? No. No. He's allowed you to hunger so that you know and your feelings know that he will meet your felt needs. I'll give you a lesson I learned. This is a funny one. This, this, is, this is, I'm like in the ministry, we're like frustrated. I hate everyone except my wife. And I'm like believing God to pay my phone bill. This is like the great faith I have. And I'm, uh, and I'm upset. I'm just upset. And uh, a guy, he sends me a pair of $1,600 Etro pants made in Italy. I wore them to Brett's rehearsal with a nice Burberry shirt that someone else gave me. And that was a good place to wear $1,600 pants because there were some people there that maybe that encouraged them. I, felt I fit in a little bit. They didn't know I was a preacher until I started talking. God said, if I will give you what you don't need, how much more will I meet your needs? I'm above and beyond your needs. Get out of that. We have that mentality that is a poverty mentality. Need, need, need. We're beyond needs. You, you live in a, you may not feel it. You, you are way above your needs, whether you feel it or know it or not. That's, that's another situation. But anyway, so... And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, what did God just say to him at the river Jordan? You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The enemy always comes for the word because the word is how you overcome. The word is how you get victory. The word releases identity. The word releases promise. The word. And then Jesus gives the devil a schooling. He goes, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Rhema that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, so you have Jesus quoting the written word, saying that we live by the prophetic word. He's giving the devil a schooling. The word is of the utmost importance. We have famous preachers in America today that have just said we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. That's what Andy Stanley said. We need to, un and, I, and I liked him before all that, and I still like him, but I don't agree with that. 
He says we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. When Jesus met Satan face to face, he quoted Deuteronomy three times. Don't you unhitch yourself from the full counsel of God. This is, let me tell you, we're old school. What does that mean? It means that, you know, a man should work. A woman should learn how to cook. A Bible is the word of God. A man should take out the, the garbage. We're old school. A man is a man and stays a man. Amen. <laughs> there you go. Guns, motorcycles, whatever you need to feel better about yourself. <laughs> you know, whatever you need, but, but we're old school. We believe in the word of God, you know. <laughs> Sorry about that in church, you know. The enemy will speak to your felt needs. Because he can get you to live impulsively if you give your feelings a place they don't deserve. Your feelings will either enhance your life or enslave you. They were meant to enhance your life. They were meant to be noti notifications. You know your dashboard, you need air on your tire? My car tells me it's cold. I'm like, do you think I'm an idiot? I know it's cold outside. It's like, you know, <laughs> Jose knows what I'm saying. I mean, I understand it's 37 degrees. Thank you. I mean, but so your feelings are notifications. But you know when you're, you know, you're looking at your phone sometimes and you're actually doing something like productive maybe once in a while. When the notification comes, you got to move it. Because you can't deal with that at that moment. That, many times, that's what your feelings are. They're, they're telling you something. you got to deal with something, but not right this moment. You don't have to explode right now. Why don't you process your anger in prayer? Why don't you process your disappointment in community? Why don't you talk about your disappointment so that you can find out how unrealistic it was? <laughs> you know? So anyway, I'm just trying to help you. So the enemy speaks to our vulnerabilities uh, the enemy speaks to his felt need because that is, is the place of humanity's vulnerability. Unmet felt needs are your place of vulnerability. That, that's just very important. You have to understand that you have needs and I have needs and we have needs. And if you don't allow Jesus to meet those needs, you will be a needy person. Can I tell you what needy people do? Needy people repel the help of other people. Because people who are full don't want to spend time with needy people. If all your friends are needy, that's a problem. Needy people are complainers. Needy people are always seeking for you to affirm their dysfunction. Needy people are always seeking a place of agreement. Needy people will drain you if you let them. That's why today someone's tried to call me. I had my phone off. I drive to church by myself. I want to be left alone for a few minutes. I need quiet. You have to cut that off or else it'll, it'll, it will never stop with people's needs. The world's needs, Africa's needs, India. Brother, I got 26 goats, four orphanages and 12 churches. I'm saying, bro, you're doing better than me. <laughs> what do you need me for? I got no goats. And the church is an orphanage until people get healed. We don't need to create more orphanages. That's what many, many churches are, orphanages. 
Anyway, that's another story. Okay. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So this is important that when the devil shows up, you speak the word of God. Jesus could have been like, Well, bro, I just got a prophetic word, man. No, Jesus says that man shall not live by bread alone. He quoted Deuteronomy. He didn't pull out his index card of prophetic words, which is good if you have those. I got some. I don't know what I did with them. They're starting to happen now. <laughs> 17 years later, I was like, all right, no pressure. Okay, then the devil, uh, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. This is the word chronos. The devil cannot tap into Kairos. He will try to sabotage Kairos. He will always seek to steal Kairos, but he cannot manifest Kairos. The gift of faith manifests Kairos. What does that mean? That the gift of faith takes Kronos time, Greek word, and makes it a Kairos moment, a moment where God breaks into time and space, a moment of eternity now. Kingdom of God is here and now. It's at hand, which means it's within reach, but you have to reach for it. You got to pull on it. You got to pull on the kingdom. There's some things that you will never get being passive. And then there's other things that you will never get working and trying to earn it. You can only get it receiving. It's your job to discern how. Like David knew intuitively that he cannot take the throne from Saul. But he had to take the promised land. So you have to have discernment on what to take and what to receive. Okay. Then the devil taking him up. Verse 6, and the devil said to him, let me just, can I just say, can I talk to you practically? When the devil starts speaking to you, he will not introduce himself. Did you hear what I said to you? When the devil starts speaking to you, he will not introduce himself. He's not going, hey, I came here to steal, kill, and destroy. Can I help you? <laughs> like, he'll be like, oh, you know, what, what, what about this need? Oh, I got, I got an offer for you. Oh, yeah. I'll give you the world. Call the kingdom. Oh, yeah. I got, I got something for you, bro. You have, to, you have to know. You have to listen. There's many people that they're not responding to conviction. It's condemnation. How do I know it's condemnation? You don't change. <laughs> if it's conviction, you have the power to change. That's different. I know what both of those are very well. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory. So the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. You know what that means? That the devil can give people vision. Not everything you see is from God. I got a vision. Everybody's got a vision. Well, where is the vision from? Because if the devil can show Jesus stuff, he can show you and I stuff too. And if the devil will talk to Jesus, the devil will talk to you. Therefore, if you worship me, all this will be yours. What does the devil want? Worship. The devil in temptation one tried to get Jesus to use his power for his own purposes. You know that every time you see Jesus moving in miracles, it was never for himself. He never abused power by using it for himself. If you have asking power, you have to use that really... You cannot abuse authority or abuse power. You have to be, can't do that. 
Jesus did not use his own power for his own purposes. He used it for the purposes of the Father to bless people. And your blessing is in blessing people because when you bless God's kids, God will go out of his way to bless you. I've experienced that in my life. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. All right. Um, and Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Whatever you serve, that's what you worship. The enemy wants worship. What is worship? Worship is submission and surrender. The devil wasn't saying, yo, can you, can you sing a song for me? <laughs> the, the devil wants submission and surrender. And the devil had the keys. Remember Jesus in Revelation said, I have the keys of death and hell. He, he, he came to take those keys from Satan. But he had to pay with his life. The enemy will try to offer you a pain-free way and a short way and a shortcut and it's not the kingdom. If you compromise, I'll give you what you really want and what you really came for now instead of paying the price and waiting and going through it. If you don't pay the price, it's not valuable. Can I tell you something about valuable things? They don't go on sale. They sell out. And they appreciate. That's the difference between something that is valuable and not valuable. If something goes on sale, it was overvalued. If something is steady, that means the demand is equal to what people will pay for it. It doesn't go on sale, it sells out. And then the next level is something that appreciates. This is important. Because the enemy will try to offer you a cheap way, a fast way, a quick way, a pain-free way, a way that you don't have to go through it. But if you just compromise with him, and that's exactly what Joshua did, and that's why Joshua could not take the people into the fullness of the land, because he compromised with what he should have had victory over. He became a settler when he was supposed to still be a pioneer. He allowed the comfort of prosperity to cause him to be a settler. We're not settlers. I don't know about you. I'm not a settler. We're going to keep moving. All right. Amen. I like that point. <laughs> Jesus amen himself before he spoke. Did you know that? Deb taught us that last week. Verily, verily. Do you know that verily, verily is only in one gospel? It's only in John's gospel. No other verily, verily. Only one verily. That's a whole nother message. All right. Again, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. You seen the pattern? We're going to get into the pattern. What time is it? I don't trust that thing. Okay. It's too cheap. I don't trust it. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over to you, keep you. The devil's like, oh, you want to quote the word? I know the word. But the devil misquotes the word. He, he does not finish to keep you in all of your ways. 
This is not the ways of God to self-destruct. That's the way of Satan. That's what Satan did. He's going to go into a bottomless pit. That's why many people have dreams of them falling and they keep falling, falling, falling. You ever have a dream of you falling, 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 falling? Because that's the destiny of Satan. Guess who's speaking to you? You ever be sleeping and you fell in your sleep and you jolt? That's the enemy. He plants seeds while men sleep. You have to uproot that and say, I don't, you know, you wake up in your conscience and say, I don't accept that in Jesus' name. He puts a filthy thought in your say, I reject that in Jesus' name. Because the enemy will try to plant seeds in your garden. Why? Because rest is a time where God seals up counsel in your heart. What is he trying to do? Sabotage that. Anytime there's something that is valuable, there's always something fake. They don't make fake Payless shoes. They're already fake. They, okay. I'll leave that alone. I'm not judging anyone. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in, in, in their hands, lest bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Do you realize, I mean, listen, Satan is crazy. He's really deceived. The Bible says that if, if the powers would have known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So Satan is not only a deceiver, he's deceived. Could you imagine Satan is telling God, kill yourself? So you, you think that he won't tell you some wild, crazy stuff? He will. And this is what he does. And this is, why, this is how the devil releases condemnation on people. The devil will whisper something to you. It'll get inside your head. And it'll sound like you, and you'll think it's you. And then you're feeling all beat up and stuff. And he'll put the most insane, heinous thoughts in your life and in your mind, wicked stuff. And you're like, what the heck? I never thought about that in my life. That's crazy. That's the enemy trying to speak to you so that the voice, his voice becomes internalized. So you follow it. Whatever you internalize, you follow. What did, what did the prophet, he said to Ezekiel, eat the scroll. Why? So the word can become flesh in you. All right. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. No man has ever spoken to Satan before. Satan says to him, get behind me. Can I tell you something about this? Can we, can we be realistic? Have you ever walked into a restaurant and you've seen people all the way at the back of the restaurant in a booth. The purpose of that is that no one can get behind them so they can see what's going on. You do not, if you have a brain, you do not allow someone to get behind you that you, that you don't trust or that can do you harm. Because someone who cannot beat you, if they blindside you, they could beat you. you. You could line up with someone and they could wipe the floor with you, but if they get behind you and stab you in your neck, you're dead. I don't care how bad you are, you're dead. A blade this big, right here, you're dead. You could be the toughest guy on planet Earth. He could be five foot one, 160 pounds. He puts that knife in your neck. It's game over, bro. So, so when Jesus says, Satan... Get behind me. He's saying, you have nothing in me, and you can do nothing to me, and you have no authority over me. Amen. Amen. 
That's important. And believe it. And Jesus answered and said, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, who is Satan tempting? Jesus. Who is Jesus telling Satan that he is? I am the Lord, your God. I created you before you fell. I Don't tempt me. Get behind me. I'm not going to listen to you. I created you. Sometimes you have to tell your kids that. Because if you don't, they think that you're, they're the dad. And you have to tell them, no, 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 excuse me, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. And sometimes church people need to hear that too. But that's another story. I'm going to leave that alone. Most of you guys are not like that. So one of the temptations is a shortcut to his purpose. Two of the temptations are a direct assault on his identity. The enemy will always come after your identity to cut off your purpose. Because your, your purpose is identity-driven in the kingdom. If you're a son, you navigate like a son. Like if I hear my kids talking, I say, we don't speak like that in this house. We, because there is a corporate and a plural identity. We don't yell and fight and throw things at each other. My wife and I have never yelled at each other. We don't do that. So if my kids get, at, get like that, I say, where are you seeing that? You don't see that with us? So, so there is a behavior, watch this, that is rooted in a belief, that is rooted in identity, and its core, the core of it is Jesus paid. We were bought with a price. We are not our own. We are his kids. We are his ambassadors. We are his children. And there is a certain way that we navigate in this world, and I don't care what is going on out there. It's not going on in here, and it won't go on in here. Are you with me? So this is really something. Okay. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. See, the enemy, listen to me, he's always looking for an opportune time to come and to try to sabotage the situation. So the enemy couldn't find an opportunity in Jesus or in in any of Jesus' other guys, so he found it in Judas. So the enemy will, and Judas is a picture of someone who values money over God. The spirit of mammon. That's a whole nother situation. Verse 14, then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and the news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. This is crazy. It's almost as if the father is Jesus' press agent. Jesus hasn't said anything. He hasn't ministered publicly. He hasn't done anything. And the father says, news went about. It's almost as if your private victory gives you public momentum. People say to me, how do I find my voice in preaching? You lose your voice in praying. You, you, you have to be hungry if you're going to feed people. You, you, you cannot, your hunger cannot be to the level of feeding. Because then you'll always be empty. You have to be more hungry. What is the commonality of someone who, who is a bodybuilder or a powerlifter or someone who is a strongman? They have to fuel that situation. 
They have to eat. If you're, if you're going to feed people, if you're going to have bread for the world, you have to eat. Okay. And being taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. So this is it. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and it was his custom, and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood there up to read. And when he handed the book of the prophet Isaiah... And when he opened the book, he found the place that it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the upper middle class. <laughs> to the places in which it benefits me most. To the people I like the most. He's The gospel, you know what it starts with? The poor. God always starts on the bottom. You know what? God doesn't want to waste your time. <laughs> you know, if you go into Africa, or you come with me to Haiti, I can show you a riot for like $50. <laughs> I can start a riot with like 50 bucks. 50 bucks. We'll, start a, we'll film it. I go with bags of food and go, hey, I got food. People, people will come. Why? Because hungry people eat. I'd rather get on a plane and drive seven, fly 17 hours and deal with hungry people than waste time with people that are constipated, overfed, and don't do anything what they have. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. God always starts on the inside of you with me. To proclaim liberty to the captives, recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor, the jubilee, the cancellation of debts, the forgiveness of sins. Come on. To me, I mean, that's good news to me. Maybe, maybe you're, you don't need that. But then he closed the book and gave it back to them and sat down. Now, there was a, there was a seat <clears throat> that was assigned and reserved for the Messiah in the synagogue because the Jews live with an expectation that the Messiah would come. Wow, come on. So th this is something that I, I really want to tell you. I want to show you something that's very important. Jesus was in the habit of consistent participation. Three things. The scripture, the Sabbath, the synagogue, God's word, God's ways, God's people. The habits and relationships determine the trajectory of your life. Listen to me. Your habits create your habitat. See, we, we sometimes, I'm going to say something, and I, I just want you to hear this as, as it is. Many times we see something like going to Africa or giving a big amount of money, or doing something big as radical. You know what's radical? When someone goes in their house and pours out all their alcohol and says, I'll never drink again a day in my life. Because something comes on the inside of them, they're quickened to understand something. And they're saying, I will never come under the influence of something like that again in my life. That's radical. We always, our view of radical is always on the outside. 
Oh, he went to a dangerous place. Oh, he wrote a big check. Oh, she did. But radical, real radical starts on the inside where you say, I am no longer going to participate with darkness. I'm no longer going to come under the influence of something that will influence me in a way that would hurt my testimony. That's just an example. It could be weed. It could be, uh, you know, it could be an ungodly addiction to pills. Nobody knows, but you're addicted. Nobody knows. And you say, no, I, I'm going to break the agreement with this thing. That's radical. See, because the habits and relationships determine the trajectory of your life. If, if you still are in relationship with people that are involved with that, that's, that means that you haven't severed ties. You don't have to call them and say, I am severing a tie with you in Jesus' name. You don't got to do that. But, it, but, but you have to really consider who you associate. When I got saved, the first thing I did is I said, I'm not jumping in the car with none of those guys no more because I know what was in their car because I know what was in my car. And I'm not doing that. And if I meet with you, it's on my terms, not on your terms. And I don't care how you feel about that. Oh, he changed. Yeah, I did change. Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> if we would have kept in that direction, I wouldn't be standing here. I'd be dead. Now, this is something. Jesus entered into his assignment on the Sabbath. <laughs> in the kingdom, we work from rest, not for rest. I was in a pool doing something very spiritual in the Ivory Coast of Africa, resting by myself, spending time with my best friend. <laughs> the other pastors were shopping and doing stuff. I said, no, 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 I want to spend time in the pool. I want to be left alone. That's, that's the sixth love language, left alone. <laughs> the older I get, the more I feel like that's why. It's just like once you can buy your own gifts, you're like, ah, I'd like to be left alone, actually. <laughs> So, so you're like, okay, uh, I love driving places alone. I drove all the way from Vancouver to New Jersey alone. I had a tremendous time with myself. I was in full agreement with myself where I wanted to stop, where I wanted to eat. It was a tremendous time, you know. And um, so this is, this is something. So it's the Sabbath day, and uh, the Sabbath is, is a space and a time created for God to restore his people. A rhythm of restoration in your life. It's important. A rhythm. You need a rhythm of restoration in your life. Children of Israel had that built into their national calendar. There was three times a year where men went away. Why? What's the principle there? If the man isn't strong, the family's weak. If the man isn't resolute, the family's weak. In our culture, the wife will become daddy. If the man isn't strong, the wife is daddy. Big problem. You, you don't marry your mother. You don't get married. To, if she's your mommy, you got you to do something. Because that's no good. Okay, that's, I'm, I'm sorry to say that, but that, that is prevalent in our culture because you have irresponsible and weak men. And the woman is like her spiritual father. No, honey. Can't do that. No, honey. Don't look at porn. No, honey. And, and it's like, no, 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 that's a problem. 
You, that's why the children of Israel, God called out the men three times a year so that the men would be refreshed and filled and fed. They were to feast. If men are not full, the household suffers. People say stuff like happy wife, happy life. That's it. Weak man, busted house. That's my line. Tell them that. If you, I, when I hear someone say that, it takes every bit of self-control that I have to not say something crazy. I mean, because this is, this is something that's crazy to me. It's crazy. Okay. Now, Jesus is using... What time is it? Okay, we're almost done. Jesus is using... I don't want to be done, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I love preaching the gospel. I love the Bible. So Jesus, Jesus uses, he doesn't care, he's having a great time. <laughs> Jesus is using Isaiah 61 to reveal who he is to Israel. Isn't that great? What, there's a law of interpretation there. Then I cannot misuse Isaiah 61. <laughs> Darn. You know, because Jesus used it and interpreted this, a law of interpretation. The scriptures cannot mean to me what it did not mean to its initial audience. If it does, you're going to abuse the scripture. This is what people do with the end times. They get on the book, they get on the internet, they don't know anything about anything. They start a YouTube channel and they start talking about the book of Revelation and they scare immature Christians and they curse their future. They don't even know what they're talking about. How do I know they don't know what to talk about? As soon as they start talking about Revelation, they pick and choose what is literal and what is a metaphor at their will, like duck hunt. That lets me know that you don't know what you're talking about, therefore, I'm not listening to you. I don't listen to anyone who doesn't know what they're talking about. I ask people specific questions about things they know about. Don't ask dumb questions, you'll get dumb answers. And don't ask people questions who don't know. Ask people who know. Don't listen. That, that's, that's one of the ways you can really stunt your growth is by listening to the wrong people. People are like, oh, did you hear this big famous pastor's last sermon? No, I don't listen to people like that because I don't need inspiration or motivation. I listen to Bible teaching. I can yell at you. I can yell at me. I don't need that. I, I want to know the word of God. This is very important, especially now. It's getting more. There's so many things that were off the table 20 years ago. They're not even part of the discussion. Now it's like, it's almost like if you're a sane person, people think you're crazy. Like her or she. No, it's like, you're a man, bro. Like, no, I'm not calling you her or she. I'm not participating with your delusion. If you want that, just, I, I love you, and, uh, but don't talk to me then. I'm not participating with that. This craziness, bro. All right, anyway. Gotta... Um, and he began to say to them, this day the scriptures fulfilled in your ears. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words proceeding from his mouth. And they said, isn't this not Joseph's son? Uh-oh. Now they're going to relate to him according to the flesh, but their relation to him is incorrect because the flesh cannot produce truth. That's why Paul says we know no man after the flesh. Don't, don't connect with my flesh. You're not going to like my flesh. My flesh doesn't like people, and it doesn't like you, and it doesn't like me. My flesh likes what it wants. 
just like your flesh, right? Oh, you don't have that? Oh, oh okay. Oh, my bad. I, <laughs> you have to connect with people by the Spirit. Our, our commonality, so we like sneakers, we like watches, that doesn't matter. If you don't connect with someone by the Spirit, your relation to them will be fleshly and it won't produce life. And then if the flesh gets rubbed the wrong way, oh, then you're offended. And then everyone's like, oh, well, I'm offended, I'm out. Well, that's the culture we live in. Instead of, no, our connection is spiritual and we learn how to work out our differences and our preferences. Don't let your preferences rob you of your purpose. Um, to this, uh, so the scriptures fulfilled. Now he's going to say, so, so now, you know what they said, aren't you, uh, Joseph's son? Do you know that that's a lie? That is a lie. That is not true. So what they believed about him was incorrect. Isn't that interesting? On the day he reveals himself, he's misunderstood. Oh, they just don't understand me. Oh, they just don't see me. Oh, they don't feel me. Who cares? Who cares? God sees you. And God is actually in the habit of looking for the overlooked. Oh, the prophet and his dad want to get all these handsome tall sons. I'll get the little boy in the field who has private victories. Get your private victories. Don't worry about who sees you. God will put you on display. And he doesn't care who likes it or doesn't like it. He won't be like, well, can we get board approval? God will just say, I blessed him. How do you feel about that? So all bore witness to him. So that there was something in ha happening in them. Give me a few more minutes. And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have done, in Capernaum, do also here in your own country. Jesus set up his ministry base in Capernaum. You have to set up shop where there's favor. Ministry always begins where there's favor. Stop trying to minister to people you don't have favor with. Leave them alone and let, let God handle them. If someone doesn't respect you, they won't receive from you. Keep it moving. My whole relationship with people is predicated on is there honor? Because if there's no honor, you cannot receive what I have and you're wasting my time and I'm wasting your time and I won't waste time because you don't die when you run out of money. You die when you run out of time. And I'm not going to let you waste my time. If I'm going to waste my time, I'm going to waste it, not you. Because it's mine. <laughs> so I didn't share that. All right. Here, he's going to trigger them. They're about to get triggered. Oh, that was the devil. No, I'm just playing. We love to blame the devil. Hold on. I can, get, I can bounce back from this emotionally. <laughs> great. Almost. Not great. Maybe I can't. One more time. And then I'm going to move past this distraction. Hold on. No. Yes, no. Sarah to the rescue. <laughs> She's been rescuing me for a long time. He's about to trigger them. Watch this. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout the land. But none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the regions of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel... 
in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was he sent cleansed, uh, none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So in all the so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. And they rose up to thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built, and they might throw him down over the cliff, then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. God's divine protection. They could not touch him or harm him before his time. You have to be convinced that you cannot be harmed before your time. No untimely deaths. I've seen one. We don't want any more. That's one is more than enough. No untimely deaths. So, so this, is, this is really something. So Jesus, this is classic. He is in a synagogue, which would be like a church. And he's teaching the Bible in a church of people who believe the Bible and they're triggered. You see that? It sounds almost as if a similar time in which we live. I don't, I don't know if you're catching that. And all he did was quote them two stories from the Bible. And this is the year, the acceptable year of the favor of the Lord. So the favor of the Lord is being extended to the Gentiles, which is us, right? Hello? And the Jewish people of that time are not excited about the favor that is being extended to the Gentiles because they're under Gentile occupation. So the gospel is for the oppressed and the oppressor. Because God knows what will happen to the oppressor if he doesn't repent. So God has compassion on the oppressor because they will get a greater destruction. So God has compassion not only for the oppressed, but for the oppressor because he knows the end. So this is, that's what mature compassion is. So when your compassion is immature, you just have compassion for like little kids in a village. That's great. If you don't have compassion for a kid in a village, you're really in trouble. You're a really bad person. But we need to also have compassion for the imprisoned and for different people who were victimized and then did what was done to them, to others, because humans tend to give what we have. So God wants to mature us in compassion. But let me just say one thing about being triggered. I really wanted to go into this on a different level. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. It's not right. But if, if, you, if you can be triggered, you're not healed. You, you have to come to terms with God's desire to heal you. These people were angry. And angry people tend to want to take things into their own hands. Right? So what you have to do is allow the Lord to deal with the anger so that you cannot be triggered. Because we live in a time and we live in a society where people are always triggered. The littlest thing can set people off. Well, 
I want to say something to us as a community. And I want to say this in a gracious manner. It is not the role of everyone in the community to tiptoe around your trigger points because there's a, a real brokenness on the inside of you. If we, if we feel as if we have to walk on eggshells, you will not have relationship with strong people because strong people don't walk on eggshells. <laughs> strong people who are healthy and healed, they are, there's a commonality that they have and they're straight shooters. You will not find people who are proficient or excellent or experts who will be dancing around everyone else's damage. You know, I go to Jason. He's going to teach me how to deadlift. He's not going to be like, oh, that was great. You're amazing. He's like, bro, that's terrible. What are you, what are you doing? I'm surprised you, you haven't broken your back. Like, like, he's not going to be like, oh, well, you know, how did, that, how did you experience that? Was, that? was that okay? No, like, you left 75, 80 pounds on, on the last meet. Like, that was not okay. You know, like, if you go to people, you know what I'm talking about. If you go to people who are skilled and who are excellent, they're not going to tiptoe around your trigger points and be soft and sweet with you. They're going to address the things in your life. And as Brett was saying to me the other day in a conversation, which he's going to share a little bit uh, at, at the, our retreat, you should rejoice when God highlights something wrong in your life. Because if it, if it doesn't get highlighted, it will not get healed. If it doesn't get revealed, it will not get healed. You've been around broken people for so long that you thought you were okay. It's like if you hang out with broke people your whole life, you'll have a mentality of brokenness. I, I, I sit down at a restaurant with someone, this is impacting. And, and the person is reading the menu, he's now looking at the prices. Because it's a non-factor. But if you, if you, if all the people that you ever spend your life with, all the people that you live, the first thing they do is look at $19, $14, $13, $3 is not going to change your life, I promise. What needs to change is your mentality. This is, this is really important because if not, but if you hung out with people like that your whole life, you're limiting your ability to see things from a bigger perspective. This is one of the things that God uses when he takes people to nations. He expands their perspective because our reality is not reality. It's our reality. There's 7 billion people that do not live with the reality that you live with. And so that there is a sense of privilege that we have. And, and the way privilege works in the kingdom is it gives me a responsibility, not entitlement. And, and when you have privilege in the world, we almost had a moment the other day. Me and, me and, uh, me and Josh were waiting. We were in uh, Seek. And we were getting Tina bubble tea. And I decided to partake of one as well. And we're waiting, and he's waiting on a dessert. And him and I both think that the guy is blowing us off. When in fact, we didn't know that what he ordered was a part of what he was doing to get it ready for us. So Josh and I are both looking at it like, yo, this guy is playing us out. 
And the feelings are starting to, you know, Josh is about to, you know, black guy is about to turn white. He's about to trigger some white privilege. My whiteness is perking up. It was really, you know, down for a while. And uh, I'm like, I'm thinking, what's up with this guy? What? The whole time he's getting it ready for us. See, but if you misperceive a situation, you will not respond to it correctly. So outside of patience, I would have made a fool out of myself, and we would have had a little attitude, but we didn't. We, we, we kept it under control to find out we were wrong. See, that's the thing. If you don't have patience, you'll make yourself look crazy. You, you look crazy the whole time he's trying to get you something, and you're flustered. Because... Because you know, you know what it is? In, in the world, if you have privilege, you feel entitled. You feel like, yeah, you should treat me like that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what did you go into? You went into a Rolex store the other day. What did they give you? Pellegrino, Pellegrino water. They showed him some respect. See that? But here's the thing. In the kingdom, it's the opposite. You know what it is? If you have privilege, you know what that does? That requires that you serve, not be served. It's the opposite. You have a responsibility. So in the kingdom, it's privilege. It's the favor of the Lord, and it's not just for you. It's your friends. Like Daniel, he had favor, but he made room for his friends. It's not just for you. This has become a hostage situation. I'm going to sit down because that means it's over. But, but this is the acceptable year of the favor of the Lord. This is the time where God is extending grace and mercy to people that don't know him. And he wants to do it through you. And the favor that is on you is for us to show kindness to other people and love to other people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the favor of the Lord. And we thank you that you're wanting to heal trigger points. That you're wanting to go deep in us, Lord, so that people cannot manipulate us with our anger, shame, disappointment, so that we cannot be manipulated by guilt. But you're wanting to bring healing to your people. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be a moment in time where healing begins to come and we get healthy and our responses reflect your kingdom and nature. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.